0: Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're reading into the surprisingly lucrative children's book industry with Puppy Dogs and Ice Cream founder and CEO Jason Katassi. Jason, who built a massive performance agency, quickly realized that agency life can mean a lot of cash, but can also mean you're not building long-term assets, before he went on to build his eight-figure children's book empire. Gather round and listen to what happens when a next-level performance marketer disrupts the oldest e-commerce business in the world, and learn why channel conflict just massively ties the hand of big book publishers and why it means they're not coming to buy puppy dogs and ice cream despite its scale and profitability. You'll also hear why Jason built his own attribution software and what it's allowed him to do, as well as how Jason uses ads to performance test his book covers and how he researches his audience to make sure they only release hits. Are you all tucked in? Let's begin. Once upon a time, there was a direct response marketer named on with the show.
1: Let's talk about the first three years. The first year we did a million and a half in revenue. And then the next year we did three million in revenue. And then the following year we did 20 million. For all of those people who think, oh, in three years you did 24 million? And this happens a lot. Don't forget the cogs. Don't forget the lessons learned. At one point on this business, I was $1.2 million in the hole. Self-funded, and my dad goes, kill the deal. It's over. And I was like, no, I'll run this thing into the ground before I give up. It's just about cycles. One of my old business partners has this adage where it was like, if you can stay in the game long enough, you win. You just need enough pitches to hit home run. Just stay in. And that's what we did. And we figured stuff out.
0: Thousands of people have jumpstarted their TikTok content strategy using Coley's TikTok creative brief template. That's because it has all the steps for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. If you haven't grabbed your copy yet, don't worry, Kohli just dropped a brand new version of their popular template filled with even more tips and insights to level up your TikTok game. Head to kohlicom slash TikTok, that's C-O-H-L-E-Y dot com slash TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. Mr. Jason Katassi, it's been a long time coming. Thank you for finally joining me on the D2C podcast. How you doing? Good, good. It's it's Friday in
1: San Diego, so it's uh,
0: think things are good. We first spoke in uh 2020, I think. Well, we first spoke before that, but we first spoke uh, you know, about puppy dogs and ice cream in 2020. And at that time you were like, nah, I'm not coming on any podcast. I'm not I'm not I, I wanna I wanna keep this, keep this more underground, but you're now uh more open with the business. Can you tell me like just give me the why this I actually tell the story of Puppy Dogs and Ice Cream, especially how you named it. I've told it a few times. Can you tell me the story of why you built puppy dogs and ice cream?
1: Yeah. Um really at the end of the day we had been an agency for for uh, for a while and the problem that i found with the agency business was there were several but the primary one is like you make a lot of cash but you don't make any gold and so the first year we launched the agency we threw up some massive numbers and my dad's like wow like this is crazy like what what is your business worth and i'm like 1x and he's like 1x and i was like yeah like I don't have a a deal with Gatorade or Coke or, you know, it's not like I'm a WPP that just has these massive sort of brand things here. And what I also started to realize, and everything's obvious in in hindsight, at least 90% of things, is that we were helping other people mine their own gold. And at the end of the day, we didn't have anything left. We didn't have an asset. Right and sure you can say great well you can take that cash and you can go buy an apartment building or you can go do whatever it is that you want and turn that cash into gold, but I was just like we we should have something of our own and so it took some time to sort of like figure out what is what is that business and you know there were a bunch of characteristics of the of the book business that we liked um, the first one was we own the IP so as an agency. If you scale anything in any vertical for anyone, you're going to get ripped. And I remember I was on a, my friend Stu, I was on a pub crawl in Seattle for his, I forget what year it was of his birthday, old old college roommate. And the media team kept hitting me up. There was a guy that ripped four of our pre-sales in four days, and I knew who he was. And I hit him up, and I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, well, your pre-sales just work better than anything else out there, so I just rip your stuff. And I was like, go write your own because we were playing whack-a-mole. So he would he would rip our stuff, I would get his accounts shut down, he would spin up another account and he would just go again. And it was so frustrating. And so then I think, okay, do you run the same stuff everybody else runs? Do you run better? Are you a better marketer? Sure, your assets are better, your copy is better, but then you just get ripped because there's a million guys selling whatever widget or lead gen or whatever. And it was wildly annoying. So... What I liked about kids' books was that it was very obvious when you own the IP. The other thing that was really nice about that business is nobody was in that space. They, for the most part, still aren't. There was a huge uptick uh, over COVID. You know, because most people in the kids' book space are hobbyists, right? So you, you, your mom, my mom, they I had an idea for a kids' book. And you make a kids' book and you put it on Amazon and you think it's just gonna sell on it and it doesn't. But at the same time, it's also like the,
0: it's like the uh, the advent of e-commerce is books. Right. It's sort of like Amazon selling books. So it's it's kind of crazy to me that it's taken this long for someone to come in and disrupt it and that there aren't more people trying to disrupt it in the way you have.
1: So so that's what I thought. And so there was a gentleman who was a intro off of an intro and he was the CFO at, at one of the very largest publishers in the world. And we had a talk early on and he goes, they're not coming for you. And I always thought we would we would scale up, we would grow, and somebody would be like, We like what you're doing, we're gonna come acquire you. And he's like, They're not coming for you. And I was like, Why not? Like why like why would they not? And he goes, channel conflict. They're so worried about Target, Costco, Amazon getting pissed off that you're a publisher and you're running ads to your own cart, not to theirs, and that they're gonna cut you off. And they're of a cartel. The,
0: I've talked to Harper Collins about this, and I, and and uh, publishers really have their hands tied about how they're able to sell their book in proximity to all sorts of different places that might be available. It's really locked Dude, down. There's,
1: there's so there's so many there's so many rules, um, and I, I think without pulling my soapbox out too much, although I guess this is the platform to pull a soapbox. This out, is what you do, yeah. It's um, there's several problems I believe with the publishing industry in general. Um, one is the channel conflict is is hard, and at the end of the day, I'm like if you're a Penguin Random House, a Hachette, a Harper's, a Scholastic, a Macmillan, whatever, um, and you have a Michelle Obama's new book, do you think they're gonna tell you we're not putting Michelle Obama's book in our store? Like, you know, or a Howard Stern book, or I don't know, think of any other uh, celebrity, right? Like, of, of course they are. And I always think about like, if Activision comes out with a new Call of Duty, what like, you know, Toys R Us is gonna go, hey, we don't want the new Call of Duty release, or, or AMC goes, I don't need Tom Cruise's new movie. Of course they do, right? So who's steering the ship? And at the end of the day, sure, you have shelf space, but at the end of the day, online, target.com is just a cart, right? So is costco.com. So is Amazon. It's just a cart. And then my other thesis was, well, shit, if I'm spending seven figures a month in ad spend, you're going to get the lift and the recall when somebody walks down the aisle and goes, oh, that's the book I saw, right? Like, and then they take it and they throw it into the cart as an impulsive buy. And so as we grew, we started having conversations with all the major publishers. Everybody was like, who are you? We've never heard of you. Like, where did you come from? And it was, it kept going back to the to the channel conflict. I also believe just as, you know, the innovator's dilemma I believe that a lot of people at the top end of, of these businesses they don't care because by the time not having a strong e-com channel matters they're gone. Right? They don't have any skin in the game. They've gotten their golden parachute, they've gotten their shares, they like they're gone. And so, I mean, look at how they fought Amazon and Amazon when you take a look at the retail sales is by by and large the largest um, you know, the largest retail channel for them. Right. And then, um, you know, and there's all these rules and stuff like that. And then there's this whole thing about how it's been done and how it needs to be done versus how we do it. Um, And so we do what is best for us, what is best for the team members, what is best for our authors. We do not do the way it's done. And I'll give you an example, the way we sell on Amazon. And for those listening who sell on Amazon books are a completely different beast you cannot advertise books on Seller Central. Like you cannot. So you have to like run it either off of KDP, which is the print on demand, or you can run brand, but like you can't just run listings. And there's some hacks and stuff we figured out. But one of the things we did with Amazon uh, is we made the books not returnable. And everybody's like, oh, you gotta make them returnable. I was like, why? So Amazon's going to buy all these books, then they're not going to sell, and then Amazon's going to return them. Like I want to know as we balance, as we grow our business, and we're self-funded, so it's not like I got 10 million bucks in the bank and I can uh, afford that float. I was like, you buy the book, you own the book. Managing your inventory is not my job, it's, it's yours. And so um, there's, a, there's a slew of those examples, and I think a lot of that is what has really allowed us to, to just grow so quickly against the competitive set.
0: What can you say about your growth? I I've read some, some PR you did a little, not PR, but I read a piece that you were in a little while ago. But what can you say about your growth in uh, in Q4 2022 right now?
1: Um, we're doing really well. You know, I, I think that if you take a look at our, you know, let's, let's talk about the first three years and then I'll talk a little bit about sort of where we're going. But like the first year we did a million and a half in revenue. And then the next year we did three million in revenue. And then the following year we did 20 million. And for all of those people who think Oh, so in three years, you did 24 million. And this happens a lot. Don't forget the cogs. Don't forget the lessons learned. At one point on this business, I was $1.2 million in the hole, self-funded. And my dad goes, kill the deal, it's over. And I was like, no, I'll run this thing into the ground before I give up. And it's just just about cycles. One of my old business partners has this, this adage where it was like, if you can stay in the game long enough, you win you just need enough pitches to hit home run so just stay in and that's that's what we did and we figured stuff out and then there was like a whole thing around you know the iOS game which completely changed our business um, like everybody in e-com and then you have to figure out like you know who moved my cheese right so the cheese moved do you still keep going back hoping one day it's going to turn and stuff and it it dude it hasn't facebook is still a shit show well all the all the platforms with all the all the tracking so like we had to build a bunch of tech so we basically the stuff that i'd always wanted to do but you had no choice now so like we rebuilt the facebook dashboard we have 96 percent match rate on our attribution model it literally looks like the facebook dashboard and so now we can basically optimize again off instead of looking at you know missing half the conversions in facebook or, or looking at their model because our our tracking platform would tell us that the, the sales that facebook is reporting is inaccurate what and are you so using to verify about, that? Is that UTM
0: data? Is that, UT, is that mainly UTM data or is there way beyond that?
1: We use um, volume for split testing. We use Everflow for attribution. And then we have a data analytics team, which is another one of those funny things. We didn't have one forever, uh, any team to do that forever. And one of my friends was like, we have like five people in, on the data side. And I was like, what do they do? And he's like, oh, they do this, that, and whatever. So we hired one guy part-time. Then we brought him on full-time. Then we brought in one of his buddies full-time, and then we just continued to grow that team. And now I'm like, how the hell would I operate this business if I didn't have that visibility? Right? Like, we just, we, we wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 that, it's that very, very simple tech stack. You're, very very
0: simple tech stack. Yeah, it sounds simple. Uh, as far as founders go, like you're you know you're with Ryan McKenzie, but even more technical. I feel like when it when it comes to how much you have your hands on this and how much of a marketer's mind you have. Like I think from day one, I'm sure it's just it's this these principles of D 2 C and great marketing. Like how soon did it take you to have a hit? Is I'm wondering. So for people out there that are maybe getting started, like how 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 soon did it take you to have a hit with the book that that you published?
1: Um. Like how how long did it take me to figure out I knew how marketing or or to sell a book and like have a hit? To sell a book. We know pretty quick. So um, when we first moved into publishing, which is what took us from three to 20 in that first year, we just we had more content to sell our customers. Right. But the biggest mistake we made was we were like a hungry man at the at the grocery store after the gym. I'm like, haven't had honey nut Cheerios in a while drumsticks. Those look good, right? Like you're just like throwing everything into the cart, right? Carb loading. And all, all of our, <laughs> and all of our books, um, are, are, are good. Like they're great, right? Like I've read every single book we've ever published and I, I like them all. I have to, you know, final approval. Yes, no, but it took us some time to find our voice. Like who was our customer? And when I think about like product market fit, like, yeah, there's a big, there's a big market out there, but like, who's your audience? And so that took some time and now we have a full process for testing our books. So one of the things that we do that none of the big publishers do, which is insane to me, right? Pick any one of the big ones and they have a new book that's coming out about apples. They have a new Apple book and they don't test the cover. This is mind-blowing to me. The thumbnail. The thumbnail. The ad. That's the ad. They rely on Amazon and that is the ad. And so like when we come up with a a book or, or we publish somebody else's book, the first thing we do is test it. So like, you know, we have a title. One thing we found is the subtitle really matters, right? So I have Jason's big book about apples, but why do I care? What is that book about? Right? And it's like, the, the seven, you know, the seven steps to making the perfect apple pie. And you're like, I like making apple pies. I need to I need to buy this book. And then you take a look at like the cover design. Right. And there was a book called it was one of the most dramatic uh, cover tests we we ever did in terms of the, the AB split testing. There's a little girl sitting on a hill. It's called If I Were Your Angel. And there's a tree on the right hand side and her back is to the reader on this like little hill and there's a, a cloud in the shape of a heart, a puffy kind of cloud, the cumulonimbus. And then what we did is, and I may flip these stats, but the net effect is the same. I was like, oh, we should add another tree on the left side of the cover to frame the little girl. It dropped our cost per lead by like 35%. And then I was like, what if we do a wispy cloud, like the, you know, those thin like cirrus clouds, Cirrus clouds, I think they're called. And that was like 50%. And so those statistics may have been inversed of each other. The content was the same, the base cover was the same, and literally we got the cost per lead down by 50%, and then we got it down by 30%. Nothing else changed. And so we test all of our covers, and so now what we do is we'll take a cover, we put a very, you know, we, we test all the elements of the cover title, headline, or sub, subtitle, um, and then the images to see what works. Do you run a girl, do you run a little boy, do you run both, like, like what does it look like? Because if your cover doesn't click, you're dead in the water.
0: When it comes to actually researching, like, that makes perfect sense. But even even a step further back when it's like what to write about you know, within this audience, what's the process? Uh, you, know, you, you understand your audience. That's great. What's the process to know what to write about to that audience that they're going to resonate most with?
1: Yeah. So um, why do they care about your book? So when somebody submits a book to us, the first thing, and I've asked this on calls, I don't do these myself anymore, but um, why should I care? And they're like, oh, it's a beautiful, wonderful story and the illustrations are great. I was like, first of all, everybody says that, but there's like 10 million children's books that check those boxes. Why should I care? And I think about you're at Costco, you know, those tasting tables that everybody loves at Costco, right? The free samples, you know, so you're pushing this cart down there and and you're going to the back of Costco to get some milk and some meat and whatever else. And somebody says, hey, Eric, do you want a kid's book? Here it is. And they're like, no, it's okay." And you're like, no, it's 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 beautiful illustrations and and a great story. You're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, keep keep going. Versus, we do a lot of social emotional books is one of the verticals we focus on. And I'm like, Hey, sir, do you, do you, have kids? And you're like, ah, do whatever. And you keep walking and the sale guy, the salesman goes, do you have a, does your child throw like a lot of temper tantrums and you just like, don't know what to do. And you're like, yes. And you're like, right. And you've probably had this experience before. And this is a book that helps with that thing. Now you have a, why that's why you care. So who's the audience for, why do I care? Why do I need to buy this book? What is the problem it solves? And so that's one of the things we really focused on. And we do have a lot of books that are just a great story, but they don't have a hook. And if you don't have a hook, you're really getting the in-market consumer who has to buy a book for, you know, for a birthday or for Christmas or whatever, right? But even then, you're like, okay, it's Timmy's fifth birthday. He likes fire trucks. I go to Amazon, in-market, fire trucks, five-year-old birthday, and then all you see is the covers. You look at the covers, the price, and the reviews, goes back to why the cover matters, Um, and that like, that's it. And so we really focus on books that have a why, like, like, what is the hook? Why do you care? I mean, it's D to C 101. Can you give me an example of, of, of a hook in one of your books or or a hook that's worked particularly well? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple that come to mind. So one is we do a lot of social emotional. So, um, we did a lot of books around anxiety, um, during COVID, And it was a lot of, you know, grandma's sick, grandma died, my parents are going to get sick, am I going to die? Like, you know, I can't see my friends, right? There are these feelings of of anxiousness. And that's a really really good why. Um, We also run a lot of Christian books, albeit we're not a a quote unquote Christian publisher. But, you know, one of our, um, we have three Christmas books right now. And I don't know where we are in the rankings today. But, you know, two weeks ago, One of the books was in the top 20, it was number 25, which is still good for children's books out of all books on Amazon. And we own the number one, two and five slots of Christmas books on Amazon. And we basically don't do cold on Amazon at all. All we do is defense. But the hook, the leading one of that was a Christmas book about Jesus, not about Santa. Right, it was like teach your kids the real reason of Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? And it's not to get presents. It's about to it's to learn about God and Jesus and, and those sorts of things. It, it just all
0: goes. Well, that's back about Coca Cola, the Coca Cola Santa.
1: Yeah, that totally. All,
0: that's yeah, yeah. That's super super interesting. And I noticed this. I was just looking on your ad library and and noticing how dramatic your ads are as well. And not, not all of them. I'm sure you have different strategies at different times. But the the fact that you sort of have that hook articulated in a really beautiful way, in a very dramatic way, just actually from the story, it looks like it's 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 not, you're not reading an ad in a lot of cases with your ads. If it looks like you're reading a, the story itself, and that I think that's a really interesting lesson. Is
1: that something that's still working? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the the best way to sell in general is by sharing an experience or telling a story, and. Um, Either the, the reader, the, the, the consumer, you know, whatever it is, do they see themselves in that story? Is that a problem that they have had? And they're like, yes, you were talking to me, right? Like, I'm resonating with this, so tell me, tell me more. And then what would you do? What happened? How does it work? Like, like those sorts of things. Um, but stories, you know, stories sell. What's the what's tell me something
0: innovative you've done uh, like in your funnel to improve conversion rates in the last little
1: while? To improve conversion rates, uh, we test we test a lot of things. One of the things that we just we tested recently that uh, it's one of the the funnels I really like. It's like we're going to show you ten books for five dollars each, and so you're literally moving them through an, through a funnel. Where they just say yes or no to all the books that they want. So it's like, yes, yes or skip is basically what it is. And by the way, it goes back to the strength of the cover. Each book is six bucks, right? And so it's just like, yes, no, yes, 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 no, those sorts of things. Conversely, we've also run, you know, here are the top, you know, here are our top 10 books, and you can select which ones you want. You get a discount if you order a couple, but do you just want to take all of them? Do you just want the 10 book bundle, right? At a heavy discount? And so you just remove the work. From choosing. So, you know, that type of funnel works. Uh, Bundles is, you know, probably the secret to our success. Sure, you can go to the store and you can buy a book, but it really comes down to price anchoring, right? So, you know, one book is twelve dollars, which is top of the mark for a paperback. And most of our books at that price point have you know doctors attached to them and, and those sorts of things. But you know, it's like one book for for you know twelve ninety five, two books for twenty four ninety five, and then three books for twenty seven or thirty or whatever. And um, yeah, people are just like three books for thirty bucks, done.
0: You also had a tip uh, at a C suite, which which you were a, a great guest at with lots of good comments about what you should do with your Amazon images. And I think it was, it, was like, it was a good little hack about like the last Amazon image is always like an upsell for other products that you have.
1: Yeah, I learned this from the guys at Thrasio. Again, so obvious uh, in retrospect, is the story goes, um, it's fairly product agnostic, but they had, they had acquired a company that had a suite of products. I can't remember the name of the brand or whatever, but so everybody was buying their Apple product and nobody was buying their banana product. And nobody was buying their orange product but the apple product was the product that everybody wanted so you have to use the images in amazon to sell the product right and so really when they got to the end they're like oh by the way we also have the banana product that helps if you're trying to eat more fruit and then we also have the orange and the hero product started driving a huge amount of incremental lift on it's basically a cross sell in the the carousel uh image and so we do that now and with so many of our authors being not only domain experts whether it's um we have the animal books and they're all animal experts with the different things or doctors around certain social emotional kind of things um we also have a slide that reminds them of their credentials right so this person is the director of child psychology at is a professor this person has sold a million copies of this book and like these sorts of of different things but we just weren't using that as a sales tool and that you know, that was really tremendous. Back to the bundling thing though, which I'm surprised the big guys don't do it, um, but I guess none of it really surprises me anymore. I, t- I share this story of about, I don't know, it was probably about a year ago, and I needed to buy some new socks. And so I went in and I wanted to buy some colorful socks and I saw like a, uh, like a six pack of you know, different colored socks. And then I think, how many of those socks do I actually want? I was like, oh, I like the first two, the next two are kind of so-so, the last two don't really care. But I got six at a discount, perceived value, click buy, right? So when we're selling a three pack of books, we focus all of the marketing around that one book, that one hero book, and hey, by the way, do you want the other two? Wrapped in a, wrapped in a bundle. Right, And by the way, in that funnel, there is no option to buy that one book. You can. You can leave. You can go to Amazon. You can go back to our store. But now you're going to pay $14.95, right? which is kind of like a BOGO, like buy two, get one free. Um, but it's just like, okay, fine. Click, click buy.
0: Did you know that 71% of US consumers plan to shop online during the holiday months or that 62% of them want to be reminded about your offers via email? To discover how shoppers plan to spend this holiday season, download Wonderkind's 2022 Consumer Insights Report. It's full of vital data surrounding preferred shopping locations, communication channels, purchase influences, and more. Visit wonderkind.co/dtc to download the Consumer Insights Report now and find out how to reach your customers. That's wonder-w-u-n-d-e-r-kind.co/dtc to download today. What does Q4 look like for book buying? I was, I was doing a, I did a podcast yesterday with someone. They were talking about how important it was for them to actually segment out who was buying a product for gift and who was, it was a, it was a consumable uh, CPG product. Who was buying it uh, for gift during Q4 and who was buying it as part of their regular cycle just to, to try to treat those people differently? I'm curious how gifting and, and Q4 plays in the book market.
1: Um, really good question. Let me lead into that by answering by t- by telling you something else. The um, couple things I don't like about the book business. The first is it is very very hard to increase the perceived value of a book. How much should a kids book cost? Ten bucks. Well, it's a thirty two page book, and then I got this other one that's a hundred pages. How much should that book cost? Ten bucks. Eleven dollars more, right? But like my Cogs just went up. So the page count doesn't really matter. Versus, you know, I'm wearing this black T-shirt for, for those of you who can't see me. Um, what is this shirt? Well, the shirt is $10 at Amazon. I'm going to throw a Calvin Klein label on it. It's going to be 25. I'm going to throw a Gucci label on it. It's going to be 300. Same thing all about, all about brand. You don't see that in kids books. That is the biggest problem we have is how do you raise the perceived value in in books? Um, the second problem with our business, and this goes more directly to your point is books are not being purchased for the, buyer. I'm not buying the book for myself. It is inherently a gifting product. I'm buying this for my children or um, my grandchildren. And I actually don't like that. And I, because it's really hard to squeeze the the pain point directly. Yes, you can do it around social emotional, but it's a little bit harder because somebody isn't buying a, um, a product for themselves. And then one of my favorite stories that I like to bring up at barbecues, or I used to, I stopped it now is I would look at some parents and I'm like, hey, would you do anything for your kids? And they go, yes, I would do anything. I was like, so your child was in the street and that child was about to get hit by a bus. Would you push your child out of the way and get hit by the bus knowing that you would die? Yes, 100% of the time I would do anything for my child. I'm like, okay, how expensive are the jeans that your kids wear? I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I'm assuming you're probably, it looks like you're wearing $300 pair of jeans. Um, do your children wear $300 pairs of jeans? No. Why not? Well, they're going to get dirty. My, uh, fair, fair, fair. Um, do you use uh, moisturizer, skin cream, uh, stuff like that? Yeah. Where do you get it? What do you pay? They're like, oh, you know, I get this uh, $100 product from Nordstrom's or Barney's or Saks or wherever. I'm like, cool. Uh, sunscreen too? They're like, yeah, sunscreen too. I'm like, hmm. Um, do you use moisturizer on your kids or sunscreens? Yeah. Which one do you use? Uh, the one I got at CVS. And I was like, hold on one second. So you spend $100 on skin cream for yourself because it's the very best. And they're like, yes. And you would do anything for your kids, but you buy them the cheapest one. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, they don't need it. And then I always go back to like, let's assume it's like a wrinkle cream or something. I was like, well, if you give them the anti-wrinkle cream at 10, which I'm not saying do this, but you'll see where I'm going, right? Then like, they're probably going to have less wrinkles at 40 where you're spending the $100 thing and then they get all pissed off and then we stop. But you know, more specific to your question about the, the gifting and how Q4 looks is that we have two different types of buyers. We have the buyers that buy nine months out of the year, and they are buying because of you know, whatever the, the why is behind the book. And then you have our lowest value customers are those who buy over Q4 because Susie and Johnny need something wrapped under the tree, and this checks a box. Right. And so we have to reacquire those people like try to keep that person in a freaking email sequence for uh, nine more months, right? Or 11 more months because they're just buying really hard. And then when you take a look at Q4, we have it goes back to the perceived value in terms of like, can I charge more for the books? No. Well, my CPMs are going up. Yes, your conversion rate also goes up. But the balance between CPM and conversion rate in Q4 just doesn't really balance out that well for us. And so we're generally softer in Q4 versus a lot of other people that just hit the gas and, and go. Our strongest seasons are the spring. And I think it's because you hit like Easter and Mother's Day, There's, you know, big gifting holidays. And then we tend to do well um, kind of in the tail end of summer, back to school, and uh, still on family vacation. So like August is typically a really good month for us also. It's the right balance of CPMs. Those CPG advertisers haven't come in, so our CPMs are low and they're just looking for something to keep Johnny occupied uh, you know, on the beach. And yeah, I think I think your
0: ads being entertaining or being engrossing in a way that a lot of ads aren't. Is that something that you're like specifically that like using pieces of the story as the ad text? Is that something that you can is continually working with with the books?
1: Um, that's always worked for us on the agency side. It's always worked for us Yeah, it's like it's like putting a pre-sale or advertorial in the ad just does better than you know It's like reducing the friction, right? And so the you know, the more front-load we can do there It sort of goes back to you know as soon as we find a, a pre-sale or some t- kind of product page that does well then we run like a, a hybrid page so you know, we'll we'll basically combine the presale and the, the uh, combine the pre-sale and the product page into one page and that's guaranteed lift. So we still test, you know, pre-sale, you get the click through rates off of that sort of fun stuff. But then once we find a winner, we combine it and then our conversion rate just goes up.
0: This so you know, we're old school performance marketers. We've been in, in the game for a long time. Uh, I was talking with another one of my friends who's, uh, he's exited a company, but he we kind of came up in the same way. And he, he's had a print on demand Amazon business for a while. I forget the actual product that it is. But he was just telling me the other day that what he does now is he just has hundreds of AI designs that he's actually getting from Dali and, you know, saying, oh, he's looking at like an SEO list and being like, OK, well, kittens and alarm clocks are really big like now. So he's he's then he's going to AI and saying, OK, produce me a funny image of kittens. And, and then it's being printed across, you know, a million different things at, at the touch of a button. This is all to preface to say, what what's your take on AI in this space? And could it be can it be used to disrupt the children's uh, the book space as well?
1: yeah, it can be. We've, we've been playing around with it for for a while. I, the biggest problem that we have with AI is getting the consistency between the art if we had a 10 page book. So Dolly will give you, you know, give me a, a kid eating fruit. and the first one's a boy eating an apple, the second one's a, a girl eating a banana. and the, like there's no there's no congruency between the the art styles. So look, when they get to a point where I was like, give me 10 images or, you know, can you break it up into a story and it will get there, um, there, you know, it
0: sounds like you should do it. You know, it's, it's funny you're building all these other software tools, which I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, but like the, it's, it's open AI. I, I was thinking about that the other day that we're looking for a way to sort of summarize the canon of D to C into more navigatable content. And I was like, oh man, I'd love to, that's a job for AI. We've written 5 million words. Like I would love to know what it thinks
1: a friend of mine shared with me earlier this week uh, um i just pulled up the url while we were chatting here called once upon a bot.com. and you put in a story and it generates a 10-page book for you it is um i'll send it to you afterwards you can put it in the show notes it's so fun to play with i think you get like three free credits and you can just write about whatever and it just gives you art and look it it's for a spray and pray model fine um you know and you can run all these print on demand books if you want to do that um but uh, it will get there. Um, but I, I think it's some time coming to 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 do that.
0: I have tied it to affiliate marketing because what he's doing is it's a, it's on the spammy side, right? Where he's going to come up with hundreds and hundreds of different things. Whereas you've got to be a lot more considered and careful with your with your audience at at the scale you're at. Like, and and you know, really focusing in on those good hooks, those good stories uh, that really connect people.
1: I think the pro- the problem with that is like we don't run shopping. And when I say shopping, I mean, we do Google shopping, but when I say shopping, I look at, you know, a, a clothing retailers, we're just swiping, swipe, I need a new dress. And it's like swipes, maybe you even don't, right. And you're just looking, you're just like, swipe, 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 swipe. You're just shopping. You were browsing. Everything for us is a funnel. What is the, you know, what's the pain point? What's the hook? You know, and then you go through, you know, the 12, 16, um, steps of marketing and you drive them through that funnel. And you you get them to focus on a singular product and you get really, really good at that one product or one vertical. And if you do that, you can take that audience and then you can mail them the other books and and whatever. And maybe one resonates and one doesn't. But you still have to have that hero product, right? I I think about the Gap. What's the Gap sell? The Gap sells jeans. By the way, they also sell shoes and belts and socks and shirts. But why do you go to the Gap? You go to the Gap for jeans and then you're going to buy some other stuff. And so we just really take that approach to really just sort of drive it home with a, with a funnel and get really, really good at a singular you know, suite of books. Do you think there's a direct mail play for you at all? Is that something you've ever considered? <laughs> we tested it. It um, goes back to margin and perceived value. Um, so we took uh, 20,000 people that had bought in the last 90 days, and we took 20,000 people that had bought, I think like a year ago or something like that. We did, we did this test about a year ago. Both... Mailers made the same amount of money, and I think we lost a thousand on each. And maybe, look, maybe the offer wasn't good enough, or the creative that we mailed wasn't good enough. But it's just, it was just, exp- it was just expensive, and it just didn't back out. So if I was selling, you know, maybe a product with a lifetime value of a hundred dollars or a hundred and fifty or something along those lines. We could do something there, but that's just not our core, our core business. But we try it. We try. It. We try everything. I think.
0: Well, so if we were to give you fifty thousand uh, dollars to grow in Q four, like where, just as you know, additional budget, would you put it on something existing? Is there something else you'd want to test with that? What would you do?
1: No, if it's existing, that means it's making money, so I don't need the cash. Um, I think that I would probably put the money into tech and one of the things that you know we've been spending a lot of time doing is building out all these micro apps and i think about at some point do we monitor you know do we monetize them um how many of them are too sticky to our specific business or vertical or industry or, or whatever right so like one of the one of the apps so i already mentioned we rebuilt the facebook dashboard also works on native and some other things um but we also we also built a routing app for Shopify. So it basically, we found that Shopify's multi-location configuration or setup, or whatever, is like is hor- is terrible. It's horseshit. And so we built a tool. Oh, and Shopify. If anybody from Shopify is listening, I've asked like a hundred times. Please introduce native bundling capabilities into your platform. It will make your customers more money, and it will make you more money. I don't know why they haven't done this. And there's a bunch of apps, and they all have problems. And so we basically built this middleware that allows us to take a SKU, route it by geo, and, and route it by um, uh, either you know can to our warehouse or it can send to pod for like backlist titles where they don't move very much. So that means we have plenty of margin because it's coming off of email or somebody browsed and found it or something along those lines. Um, you know, so we built we built that. Um, what other tech stuff do we have? We have a lot, but we have some other cool. We have a a brand new product coming out a little bit. I won't talk about too much, um, but it's we built it. We had it for like three or four years because we were looking for it out of the gate, and that's a product that will monetize. And for me, what's really interesting about that is like every business gets most businesses get started with some kind of a pain point. And I was like, dude, we already had product market fit. Like we would have used this thing. And so like we had to go find a developer and then the first guy was like he would be super hot for like three days and then we wouldn't hear from him for like two weeks and, like it just didn't work when we were smaller and so i just i think it comes down to building apps and software and i'm also as i think about what's what's next not necessarily for the company but the evolution of like our growth my you know what do we want to do next what do we want to add on i really like b2b plays I like that you can sell something that is inherently additive to the customer. And if your product is really good, it grows with the customer, right? And so, you know, the revenue goes up that you start charging more or whatever, but you're helping them grow and it's super, super sticky um so like you know i I met andrew wilkinson at your event um who by the way owns our kids books that was also very funny he's like what's your best-selling kids book and i told him and he's like we have it (laughs) So i I forget how many books How many books move around but he's into a company called stamped which is what we use for our reviews and we had all of these problems and we looked very hard at, at migrating to uh look or looks i forget i forget what the name is but we were so ingrained into their software. Like all the product pages, all the APIs, all the data we have, our customer service team. I was like, dude, the soft cost to switch is massive. And um, so yeah, I really like B2B kind of, kind of stuff. So tech is the answer. And, and so is this tool that you're sort
0: of talking about describing that you can't talk too much about? Is it sort of, I think you mentioned something like an ad espresso, something that like sits on top of social media platforms and actually helps you deploy ads?
1: So that's like a, that's like a feature set of our, um, so we have that also. Um, but you know, we have like, what a, does it have, solve?
0: I'm curious, what can you say at a high level that your piece that sits on top of meta and helps you deploy ads? What problem did it solve about meta ads
1: for the, the Facebook dashboard rebuilt It was attribution and optimization. Like it was that, but then I look at other features or other tools that we use. Like Revealbot was great. Like I probably hit Revealbot Like we used to use them all the time. We hit them for like, i probably three, four times, I was like, how do I get your rule set to connect to my APIs so that we can run rules on our campaigns? And they don't have it. They have like some hacks and stuff with Google Sheets. We don't use Google Sheets or anything like that. So I was like, all right, well, I need a rules engine, right? I need a backstop, right? So I've spent $200, no add to cart, like kill it, right? And so I just think about, you know, how do you remove some of that very basic work from the media buyers and let them focus on the strategy and the creatives and those sorts of things? And like let some software do that rudimentary work right you're replacing the mechanical turk sort of elements but i you know then we you know we run the same creatives in a bunch of different accounts and a bunch of different campaigns and so on and so forth how do you roll them all up well you got to run a pivot right and then you gotta and then you gotta ping your content management solution to see like okay apple one two four seven which image is that that's doing well and so like how do we take all the data we have and then visualize that so the media bar is like, this is the headline, this is the image, this is basically manage the results of, of the tests. So, yeah, it's, it's like those are features. I, I think the core set is just really the attribution modeling and, you know, the ability to turn on and off.
0: I love the evolution cuz the agency has that mo- the, ha- the good side of the agency is that you scale with good clients as well. The bad side is often when you scale really big with the clients, they start looking at your line item too closely uh and, and like you say, often, you know, that, that part ways at, at at that time. But then that evolution from that into D2C and then into b 2 uh, B2B or or SaaS, it's something it's definitely something that on on the D2C and pilot house side we're looking at as well. Like you just build you build these tools to solve your problems and you just you can't underestimate how much how much room there is for more tools out there. And That's one of the reasons, like, we do two podcasts a week. Sometimes we do a third, and the third is a sponsored one that's going to be with one of these these people. But it's like it doesn't even feel sponsored in a lot of ways just because everyone is looking for solutions for little problems that they have. So whether you're kind of creating one and putting it out there or or using other, this ecosystem is just – the SaaS ecosystem is super interesting. I just looked at Jasper. You saw Jasper's uh, uh, valuation the other day.
1: Yeah. They got $200 um... so
0: they're, like, several billion – Valuation on
1: so just I, wild. I, I it's kind of funny, like it's the opposite of what we do. So we want to acquire a million small customers. So how can you make the same amount of money by acquiring a thousand big customers? Right. The sales cycle is is longer, but I think your revenue and stuff is more consistent, right? I, I think that's the biggest problem with D2C is that, you know, how do you Flatline your revenue to be more predictable in terms of like growth and you have a bad month you something You run out of inventory That's happened to us, right? Like we've fixed a lot of that, but um, oh, yeah, there's a great great story So like we run out of inventory now, which we have you hit a winner do not pause scale it to the moon Sell every book you have in warehouse. Well, what happens when you're waiting on the new books to come? Oh with our routing app We just switch it to the pod version print on demand so sure, it costs us more, but what's the cost of pausing your ads and then getting them warmed back up again and scaling? So if you have a winner, do not stop ever, right? And um, yeah, so that's a function that our app has.
0: You mentioned you mentioned your efforts to try to normalize the D2C revenue, and I, and you mentioned you're not quite ready to talk about it. So you'll have to come back on the next podcast and talk about subscription, because I think there's an obvious fit with, uh, with Puppy Dogs, Dogs and Ice Cream uh, and subscription, but we can just tease that and save it for the next meeting.
1: Yeah, I, I think when you take a look at its subscription based revenue and, and why everybody adds it in and there's like a predictability component to it. Right. And we look at, you know, we're, we're knocking on 50 percent of our buyers are um, returning customers now. So I'm like, all right, well, how do we you know, how do we automate that? Do we you know, do we move to a, a book box? right? That, that sort of thing. It's, you know, there's a lot of logistics around it. Um, do we do something with videos because, you know, we, we made a bunch of dum dumb sort of video creatives for, they're not, they're actually really good. They're not dumb, dumb, but you know what I mean? And, and then how do you just really streamline the revenue for, uh, for your business? Um, while providing a really good customer service you know, experience. Um, I will say one thing that I'm very proud of as a business owner, we are obsessive compulsive about customer service. Our, our customer service scores are off the charts and I think that at the end of the day, you will always have a problem when you hit a certain size or certain scale. So it's like how do you treat those customers and you treat them right. Um, They'll come, like, it, it like makes them more loyal. Like it's crazy to me, right? And so there's a bunch of things that happen that aren't our problem um, and we still fix it. So, you know, I remember years ago, this guy called up and he goes, you know, we got a bunch of books and they went on to the, the mailman, put them on the porch and the sprinklers came on and all the books got wet. And in my head, I'm like, not my fucking problem, right? Like they showed up at your house, you you turn the sprinkler, like whatever it is, right? And you reship to that customer and you're like, Hey, I'm sorry that happened. Like here's, we'll, we'll reship it to you. And by the way, we have this new book that's coming out next week. I'm gonna include a copy for you cause it was just a pain in the ass. And you're like, okay, cool. And you send it out and that like, really you're gonna do? Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. Um, like those little things really build a lot of loyalty. And I think that customer service done right um, or done really well is a, is a huge way to, to sort of build brand loyalty.
0: And so, to not think of it as a cost center, as you know, something you have to do, think of it as an investment. Think of it as a as a LTV booster, and just another amazing way to maybe even the most impactful engagement you'll have with that customer. You know what yeah, I mean? I was even about like
1: the free dessert when you have a problem, right? The manager comes over and goes, "How is the, the meal?" Um, this happened to me not too long ago. I'm very honest. One of the things people always joke about is when you know, we get on a call and they're like, how's your day going? I always tell them how it's going. I was like, oh, it's horrible today or something. I had a big win or like whatever it is. And I don't go fine. So like this, this guy comes, a manager comes over. He's like, Hey, just, you know, just making the rounds. How how's your food? I was like, you know, we eat here all the time. It was good. But like, somebody has got a heavy hand with the salt today. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like heavy hand on the salt. And he's like, really? Okay, cool. And um, all right, I'll I'll let the chef know walks away. Um, Give me a scoop of ice cream, dude. Give me something because I spend a bunch of money. And now I told everybody I know, I was like, why wouldn't that guy just give you like a free dessert or something like that? Or let me comp the drinks, which generally they do. But in this one instance, he didn't. And it destroyed the brand loyalty for me. And I actually went on Yelp and I actually wrote a thing. And I don't do it to bash the restaurant. I do it because if the owner of the restaurant actually cares about his business, which if he doesn't, I don't want to eat there again. But if he does care about the business, hopefully he reviews the Yelp reviews and notices something and was like, oh, we should, we should fix this. But those times where they, eh, we're going to comp around to drinks or here's a free dessert on us. You're like, oh. That's that's great. Maybe you don't order the dessert and realize they got a great cheesecake or a creme brulee, and you order it next time. And now your average ticket order, you know, went up. Um, I just don't think people focus. I love that it. On it. Yeah,
0: hundred percent agree. Let's let's also leave the, this podcast with a just a little tip. This is something if uh, if you're ever needing to send a corporate gift to someone, <laughs> there is no better corporate gift than the one that Jason got me for providing just a, a little a little free consulting many years back. He actually sent me a pair of Tiffany. Uh, a Tiffany blue box with crystal beer steins that literally every beer I drink in my home is out of one of these steins. And so if you're looking for that, that great gift for a business contact, crystal
1: Tiffany steins, go for it. It is. uh, You you uh, use those as well at home? Well, the story was we got one for my dad for father's day. It had to be 30 years ago, more. And the mug just stayed around forever. It's crystal. It's heavy. looks like crushed like rocks like glaciary, kind of like jagged i love i love those mugs um i just love, love them. them and so yeah it's
0: they're they're hefty enough to feel like a badass german but then they're like also like shiny and dainty and beautiful it's it's uh, i just love it gotta say
1: <laughs> good i'm, I'm glad I, i'm sure
0: it's gotten a lot of use all right man we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon all right thank you Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.